0: Welcome back to We the Museum, a podcast for museum workers who want to form a more perfect institution. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman, owner and executive producer at Better Lemon Creative Audio, where I make podcasts for museums, history organizations, and other cultural nonprofits. In this episode, we're looking at how the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana is taking their work a step further through two audio projects their first audio tour for on-site visitors, and a podcast about the challenging work of interpreting slavery from the perspective of the enslaved at a site of enslavement. My guest is Amber Mitchell, Director of Education at Whitney Plantation. Located just outside of New Orleans, Whitney is unique among plantation sites. You don't go there to admire the beauty of the big house or get a whitewashed version of the antebellum South. That's because Whitney is the only former plantation site in Louisiana with an exclusive focus on slavery and the generations of Africans and their descendants who lived and were enslaved on the plantation. Before we jump into my conversation with Amber, I want to shout out our show sponsor, Landslide Creative. This podcast would not be happening without their support. Landslide Creative provides custom website design and development for museums who want to increase their engagement and connect with their visitors, donors, and volunteers. With a custom website designed for the unique needs of your museum, you can stop fighting with your website and focus on growing your impact. Head over to landslidecreative.com to learn more. All right, let's talk audio projects at Whitney with Amber Mitchell.
1: I ended up here in June of 2021 after some stints at some other local institutions in New Orleans and came here with the unique opportunity to be able to build out a education department that centers and elevates the stories of enslaved Africans, African-Americans, and Creoles of color using the space that we're in as my classroom. And so we have had some unique opportunities over the last year and a half to welcome all kinds of visitors, but especially our youth and school group visitors via my team, where we have uh, just the amazing opportunity to be able to share this history, but also to empower students to use this history as a tool for their own liberation. So we like to say that education leads to liberation around here, and there's no better place to learn about how that is when you're actually in the space where um, people weren't allowed to learn, right? This Is this kind of new
0: department part of the, the shift after, you know, 2019, right? You've been... Well, you- Mm-hmm. Can you just like say a few words about the shift from, I think, private ownership right to to being a a, um, a nonprofit.
1: Yeah. So the site itself was founded and open to the public in 2014, specifically for the uh, goal of telling stories about slavery, and then in 2019, December 2019, we became a 501c3 nonprofit. So a complete transition. Over um, Which allows us to, rather than have the full guidance and control of a singular person, private owner of the site, we can work towards uh, grants and other sorts of outside funding to be able to gain more support from uh, stakeholders, both internally and externally, right? So it's been an interesting transition because December 2019 uh, was, you know, right before the end of the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since then, there's been a pandemic. Uh, we're arguably still in a pandemic, but our, uh, we've been in a pandemic. We also, in um, 2021, we were uh, hit by a Category 5 hurricane, which also impacted our site, which made us have to close after reopening from uh, the pandemic, close back to repair the site. And we are still in, although we've reopened, we're still in um, recovery mode uh, from that experience. But um, it's been, although challenging, it's been, we've had a really great team and ability to grow our team using the resources that are now at our fingertips based on being a nonprofit.
0: Yeah. So grants leads us into uh, what we're going to talk about today, because I think both these are grant funded. The new audio tour that's app based, and then yes. uh, a podcast, tilling the soil. Um, and I'm always a fan of podcasts, so <laughs> definitely want to talk about those. But let's start with the the audio tour. So this is Whitney's first audio tour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so why an audio tour now?
1: Yeah. So the audio tour actually was in development well before any of the emergencies came about. Prior to my coming on, my executive director and other members of the team realized that although we were primarily a guided experience, guided by uh, historic interpreters through the site for majority of our visitorship, well, excuse me, not majority, all of our visitorship, that was the only option. We realized that there were some levels of engagement that we were missing based on the fact that, you know, there's language barriers, there's accessibility issues. Um, There's also a lack of consistency when you have, you know, the unique opportunity to be able to have people who are really passionate about this history giving the history. There's also a lack of consistent story that's always told every time. And so to be able to fill that need of being able to to tell this history consistently every time and to as wide of an audience as possible, um, they started developing this program. In, I believe it was 2019, 2020, it became a lifeline for us uh, once the pandemic really hit and we just were not able to safely have our staff out on the grounds and leading tours. And so by the time the pandemic really came into full swing in March of 2020, we had closed down like many other sites had closed down. And so when we were able to reopen a year later in about February of 2021, that was the only way for us to safely deliver tours for uh, guests who were coming in. And so, as I mentioned, this was already in process, but the tour itself had a, has a, its own script. It has its own unique storyline that allows for us to explore Various topics that we can't necessarily go into fully on site with a face-to-face conversation. And it primarily has allowed us to welcome more guests. So um, usually there was a set number of people who could go on a guided tour. Now when folks come in, they can, as long as we have devices available, which we purchased from um, Acoustiguide, who created our audio tour, Um, or people are able to download the Whitney Plantation app on their phone completely for free and listen to it at their own pace. People come in when they want to borrow the devices and then set off on the site. It also gives people more of an opportunity to spend more time here. Our traditional tour uh, would likely be done between 45 minutes and an hour and 15 minutes. And the only way for people to experience the site was to be walked through with staff. Since the audio tour people are allowed to be on the site as long as they would like. Like we don't kick anyone out if they are really here and absorbing the information and really going through all of what it is to offer on the app and um, in, via the device. They're both the exact same tour of the exact same information. And so it lets people engage with us a lot deeper than before. A challenge for us in introducing the audio tour Uh, was the loss of the human element. There's a certain magic that is palpable here at Whitney Plantation when you're engaging with our staff, who the vast majority are descendants of enslaved people, some from this very plantation and some from other places like myself. And so there is a richness of experience and just something that's indescribable that you get from interacting with people in a space like this one, and interacting with a trained staff um, and an excellent staff like we have in this space. Um, and also, I mean, people, these are folks who are employed, right? So they, they all um, are very passionate about this history and they all deserve to be paid. So we were all just thinking about, well, how do we introduce this tour audio tour that has become really important to us, but also not lose that human element. And so, you know, over the past year and a half, we've been testing out different ways of, of balancing out when do we roll out the audio tour? How do we also still have guided tours? So as of right now, we're doing both. So we have we offer a set times for guided tours that uh, are pre-registered. They're on a first come, first serve basis. And the rest of the tours throughout the day are via via audio tour. And for some people, they're fine with audio tours. For others, they want that extra special touch of of that human element and just the extra bonus that comes with that. But I will say for large groups that come here, their only option is the audio tour because we just at this point, like most other places, we're also dealing with staff challenges, not having enough staff to be able to fulfill the need. Right. So the audio tour still comes in clutch for um, big bus tours and tour companies that come here. Um, and are able to to still get an experience with us.
0: That's great. I visited the plantation in, I think, 2016, and took the, you know, the in-person tour, and it was incredibly memorable. It's one of those things, you don't really forget the content, <laughs> and you don't forget the, the person who guided you. Like, I can picture um, him very clearly, compared to some other, you know, in-person tours that may be less memorable at, at other places. So it's really memorable, and then, um, so it's interesting to compare that to the app. And I was going to just like listen to a few um, in using the app. I was just going to listen to a few of the stops on the audio tour. Yeah. Um, but I started at one <laughs> and I couldn't stop. Um, it was yeah. really engaging. And I felt it, it kind of, it had that really narrative feel. And there's, so there's three voices. I'm going to describe it a little bit. There's three voices that you hear on the app. There's a narrator intermixed with Ashley Rogers, your executive director, and Dr. Seck, your director of research. And then a little bit of archival audio as well, like on um, the WPA oral histories. And so it was really interesting to hear that kind of intermixed rather than just a narrator telling you the information. It felt kind of like that podcast listening experience that I like, like a narrative history podcast. And it did, I felt like the pieces of the story coming together. Mm-hmm. And even though some of it, I'm like, oh, I had heard that. And I remember that I wanted to hear it again. And I wanted to hear how it was framed differently. It's an interesting tour. And so I guess my question then is, you, you're a little. You came in after the tour is already in development. But speaking to the strategy generally, were there kind of like key. What do we want to do in an audio tour? Like, what are the must-haves? What do we want to accomplish that other audio tours don't, or that some audio tours don't? And conversely, is there anything you wanted to avoid from audio tours generally? Things that are like we don't want to do this in our audio tour.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think from after speaking with other staff who were involved with that process, I think what was really important for them was that if we were going to spend all this money on an audio tour, it better be something that is memorable for people, that will keep people wanting to return to that information and really be a resource. For a lot of folks who engage with us, uh, whether that be here on site or online, we are their first stop on their journey to learning about the history of slavery from the perspective of those who built this country, right? And I'm not saying like built this country figuratively, literally yeah. via their labor, whether that be a physical, emotional, mental and reproductive labor, right? And so it was really important for us at the same time while realizing that and centering things like that to also not re-traumatize people. Mm. Um, that's very purposeful for us both on site and uh, the. The daily work in our long-term strategy is like our goal is not to make people feel bad. Our goal is to empower you with this history to then start your journey or use us as a launching pad to be able to be more informed about how the history of slavery informs everything else within American society and arguably global society, right? And so that takes a little bit of collaboration. Um, there were several visits with Guide. Where they were walking through the site with the team, getting the feel for who we are. Because I think for a lot of people, they when they think about plantations, they have a very, um, very different thing in mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's always better for folks when they're like, oh, well, you know, we're going to come and talk about Whitney and Boa. I'm like, you need to come here first. So you even just realize, just blast out all of your preconceived notions, Right. Then that was the same with Acoustiguy. They had to come out here. They visited with us. They were in the spaces. They were talking to staff. It was a collaborative writing of this tour. So in addition to Acoustiguy doing a lot of editing and things like that, our executive director, our director of research, and our director of operations and interpretation at the time, they all worked very closely together to make sure that the story was correct and also deciding what things do we supplement in here? What recordings do we use? What images do we use? Um, What stories are highlighted and when Mm. on site, right? Um, Because we're a mix of, for people who haven't visited us before, we are a collection of buildings that were brought here for the specific goal of interpretation and uh, preservation. We're a collection of buildings that were originally here. The site has been in existence since 1752, so we're 270 years old. Um, and then the last part, we are a collection of monuments and memorials about remembrance, right? So there are certain ways in certain places that we talk about this history that looks a little bit different. So we had to figure out how to translate that. And then also, lastly, which is, I think, kind of unique to our tour, at least I've never done an audio tour like ours and had this element, is choosing voice actors. We had to figure out, because our, our tour is offered in five different languages, mm. and we had to figure out Whose voice do we use to translate this history into all of these different languages? Right. So obviously we're 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 in America, so we're speaking English. We are a very French heavy site, right? So obviously, history of France and colonization. So we have to have French. We have Spanish offered as well, another part of our history as a colonial product of Spain as well. We have German, and we also have, I believe it's Mandarin Chinese. So how do we figure out how to translate every little bit of nuance on our site into these five different languages and be able to convey that in tone? Yeah. Because they'll never see that person's face. It's, it was a lot. That's why it took so long. That's a huge undertaking. Right. They had to be very intentional, intentional about every aspect of the tour. And I think what's come out of it is a, is a wonderful offering that is free and available for anybody. You don't have to be here on site to take our tour. But I will say that it hits different when you are actually here, right? And I mean, AAM also thought that that was uh, true too because we got an award for it, bronze award in twenty twenty one. So, I mean, not to two hour all in one, but I'm I'm going to two please do,
0: <laughs> yeah. Just slide that award right in uh, to the conversation. Uh, that's what I do <laughs> with my AAM award. We'll be right back to my conversation with Amber Mitchell, but first, it's time for a Digital Minute with Amanda Dyer, Creative Director at Landslide Creative.
2: Hi, I'm Amanda Dyer, Creative Director at Landslide Creative, and I've got a quick tip you can use to improve your museum website. Most websites now see the majority of their traffic come from people on mobile devices. But if you're like me, you typically access your own website on your desktop computer while you're at work. That means there could be issues on your mobile site that you haven't noticed, but your visitors will notice. Take some time to browse your website on your phone. Try doing common tasks like find your opening hours or current exhibitions, purchase a ticket, renew your membership, find an upcoming event and register, fill out your contact form. If you encounter any barriers or moments of frustration while completing these tasks, you'll know where to focus your efforts. Any updates you make to your mobile site can dramatically improve the user experience for the majority of your visitors. Get more tips for optimizing your site at landsidecreative.com slash mobile. Now back to the episode.
0: You know, it's interesting talking about the, the translation, because I one of the things I noted was the language seemed both um like when Ashley and when Dr. Seck are talking, it feels a little conversational, like you might have caught them in the tu- in the midst of a tour, but at the same time, the language is very specific without being it's very measured and very careful. But I remember just coming across one that said something like they could cons- the plantations consumed a lot of labor or a lot of people. And I just that that word stuck out and it did so much work to change the way you're thinking about the entire operation um, without having to go into a lot of detail, without having to even tell a story or an, just that one word did a lot of work. So I can imagine doing that in five, six languages is, was quite the operation. So before we move on to the podcast, talking about the podcast, do you have a favorite moment of the tour or a part that you think is most impactful hmm. or maybe that you've heard is most hmm. impactful?
1: So I would say it's hard for me to talk about a favorite part of, of our site because it all works together so well. But I would say that where people really seem to get what we're doing <laughs> is when we're in the field of angels and we're talking about Mm. mothers and children and how we remember people, right? So for those of you who haven't visited, uh, the Field of Angels is our monument to the over uh, 22,000 children um, and their mothers, who we know of in this area that passed away before the age of five.
0: I'm gonna jump in here and post. Before you hear Ember talk about the Field of Angels stop, let me play you the actual clip from the audio tour which she was kind enough to send me to use. It's two minutes long. This memorial is dedicated to the enslaved children who died in St. John the Baptist Parish between 1823 and 1863. You'll find the name of each child, the date of death, and the mother's name. The names were compiled from baptism records. 2,200 children died in this parish alone, and those were just official deaths recorded by the Catholic Church. Thirty-nine of those children died right here at Whitney Plantation.
2: The inventory in 1860 on this plantation tells us a lot about the
1: lives of children and their mothers. Children born in a condition of slavery, as the condition followed the mother's line, would live there in Louisiana with their mothers
2: until they were the age of 10, at which point they could be put out into the fields or they could be sold away. The other way that childhood was stolen from these children is
1: that many women on this plantation had their first children when they were just children themselves at the ages of 13 or 14. And so there's many ways that enslaved children were not allowed to just be children.
0: We have always to remember is also about the broken dreams. All the children of the world are dreamers, and you grow up to fulfill your dreams through education and hard work. But for enslaved children, there was no education. They were denied education, and they were just taught to become beasts of burden. And very early in their life, they had to drop those dreams, unlike the children of the masters. Remember that during this visit, these children will be talking to you all over the memorial you will see today. From the placard in front of the statue, take the path to the 18 stone walls. That is the Alley Gwendolyn Midlow Hall, and you will find stop number 13
2: there.
1: Sugar is a very intense crop to grow, and mothers worked until the day they gave birth in Louisiana. And oftentimes that meant that you have children who are already born underweight and sickly who have to then survive outside of the womb. And then you also have, you also are in the middle of, you're in, we're in the northernmost part of the tropics. So um, you have all the environmental-borne illnesses. You have mosquitoes. There's cholera. There's yellow fever. There's all of just the basic stuff that we get inoculated for today, on top of the extra harm of being a child born, a Black child born under enslavement in the United States. Yeah. And so in that space for people, that's when they really get it, like, when was the last time you saw a monument to, a, to mothers and children? Yeah. When was the last time you saw a monument to a Black mother and child? And who gets to be remembered and how and why? And so as part of the audio tour, that's where people kind of linger the longest in our monuments, is not just reading the things on the walls around the statue, looking at the statue and really just kind of sitting with this, this moment of, Understanding that these people were people and that there were a lot of people who did not survive um, and didn't even get a real chance to live under this system. Hmm. And I think it's
0: very impressive that that's been conveyed through the audio tour. Again, like you're talking about with the in-person experience, it's very powerful, but to be able to translate that into an app, essentially, or a device to person experience, I think is, is a sign of success. Jumping in again in post, I'm sure many of you are curious about the budget for this audio tour. Amber didn't have the numbers on hand during our chat, but she was able to get that info to me afterward. The whole project was about $150,000. That was for the creation of the English language tour, which had a writer and audio engineers, plus a voice actor as the main narrator, and then the translation and delivery of the tour into French, Spanish, German, Italian, and Mandarin. They had a major grant to help with this project. $75,000 came from the Peck Stack Pool Foundation, who had also given them $35,000 a year before for a research intern position. Moving on to the podcast, Tilling the Soil. Um, Do you want to describe in your own words really quickly what the podcast
1: is, what you're trying to do? Sure. So Tilling the Soil is a... how do I describe my little baby tilling the soil? So, <laughs> well, tilling the soil is a is essentially a conversation or a set of conversations that explore the reasons why Whitney Plantation is the way that it is, as it stood by summer of 2022. It really came from overhearing conversations at our front desk, especially with mm. African American visitors, who once they get here and they see that the majority of our staff who are doing the interpretive work day in and day out are also black, we get this interesting question that that I have not really gotten in other museum positions. And that is what is it like working here, mm. specifically a plantation as a black person? What is it like dealing with this history day in and day out, like, why are you here? Yeah. Um, right? Or why would you ever want to work here? That's mm-hmm. really what the question is. for. Because for a lot of people, you know, especially African-Americans, we do not go, we left the South and we don't want to go back to it, right? Especially not to sites of just levels of harm that are unimaginable uh, to our current psyche, Right. And so to be to step into a space like Whitney Plantation and at the front door, you see blacky black black staff all over the place who you're being guided through the site by black tour guides. You're being confronted with this history in the way that we do it. There's a lot of background work that goes into this. Right. And we have to even before people come here and even before, you know, we have to come in every day as staff there are things that we have to confront within ourselves. And so whether that be history, whether that be emotions, whether that be people projecting ideas about what this history is and isn't and their own lived realities under this history, um, whether that be the history itself or at during the event or the legacy of what happened afterwards, um, we have to work through that. And um, myself and our former director of marketing, Dr. Joy Banner, You're just sitting around. It's like, we sit and talk about this all day. You know, people really should hear about this. People would have a a much better appreciation for the amount of work that goes into just unlocking the doors to this place every day. Um, If they understood why we are the challenging place that we are for not not just white folks from this area, not just black folks from this area, but for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, so it's kind of, I like to describe Tilling the Soil as my own personal love letter to Black public history, Mm. because I'm a public historian by training. Um, It's what I have been in since I was a teenager. And so I'm always thinking about, well, what's the history of the history? How do we get here? And then also, like, so why do we do things in the way that we do them? Where does this come from? And so through exploring these topics on tilling the soil about, well, what is a plantation museum? What's a Black museum? What is plantation tourism? What does it mean to uh, have an equitable workplace that's literally at the home of inequity, right? And be able to explore these topics that are really important to, to public historians and museum people It may not be a thought that general visitors have yeah because all this intersects in such a unique way at our site and so it's been a wonderful experience to be able to do it uh it is 11 episodes long every single one of them has such a unique take on this history it's hard to get bored and it's um, I just I'm proud of my little podcast that could that was just me you know sitting in my office being like you know what people should really hear my thoughts on these things
0: (laughs) well you know it's a lot more (laughs) than just your thoughts I I think like you said there's so many it's really hard to get bored I mean you start in with like episode one and it's like well let's talk about the history of how people saw plantations in the media and in popular culture and how that completely shaped everyone's understanding of what a plantation is and created this whole like you know myth of the plantation even before gone with the wind and that's fascinating and then the discussion on labor you know we don't do unpaid interns um how do we pay people what does it mean how do we take care of our staff in a place where people were specifically you know abused and in the the sphere of labor and talking about descendant communities i mean it's just i listened to a few episodes and i was just so much to think about. And I think, like you're saying, with, for the public history audience, for the museum audience, it's a fascinating look into how do you make a place like Whitney work and how do you engage with these ideas as staff, which again, seems very hard. But also, I think it's really instructive for everyone listening because it's such a like, it's so focused where you are. And it's so obvious that these are the issues that you have to deal with. But Fair labor in museums. Uh, this is happening elsewhere. Uh, racism and <laughs> Jim Crow and slavery obviously didn't uh, just happen down in Louisiana. Right. Being able to see it so clearly here, it could be very useful for other people to be able to then map those things onto their institutions and the questions that they're dealing with. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I mean, although we are obviously using the history of uh, slavery um, and the African American experience as our jumping-off point, all of these things are activities that are happening elsewhere. There is there is a long history of museums and museology and public history, right? And no place that is open and available to the public is going to exist in a vacuum where none of those things are at play, right? So even though we use We use our own lived experience or we I use my own lived experience as a as a historian, but also as an African-American woman to guide those conversations. The underlying course of them are how do we have an equitable, accessible institution that realizes that maybe it came from really backwards ways of thinking as its origins but how can we prepare for the 22nd century of museums, right? Mm. How can we make sure that we stay relevant? Because frankly, being an accessible institution is not just making sure that people can enter your space. It's also saying that people can enter your space where they are, Mm. be informed and empowered and take that elsewhere, but that you're also empowering your staff and making sure they have what they need to do their best work. And that you're constantly thinking about how do we, how do we as an organization cause more intentional good rather than careless harm? Mm. Because nonprofit organizations at their core can be exploitive. Yeah. Not can be. They are. Yeah. <laughs> Not can be. Look at me being gracious. <laughs> they, can, they are exploitive at their root. We are in a white supremacist, capitalist, uh, patriarchal society. It, it is what it is. So we have to actively think about and fight against the origins of our field and our organizations to make sure that we are going to survive for the next 5, 10, 20, 30, 100 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think, I think everyone listening should go listen to the podcast. Do you want to say really quickly like how you make the podcast and what the kind of practical aspect behind it is?
1: Sure. So we got a grant from the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities Rebirth Grant Program in 2021 to be able to do this project. And um, I really had no idea what to do. Yeah. So we reached out to a friend, Mark from Beyond Bourbon Street, which is a podcast uh, that highlights various uh, tourism related places in the uh, New Orleans area. Um, and he gave some recommendations on some folks to contact, mainly um An editor that he works with, shout out to Joel Sharpton uh, with Pro Podcasting Services, who took us under his wing and was like, sure, I'll I'll do this. I'll give you all a discounted rate to be able to do this work because I just am really um, excited about this podcast. And um, I was like, okay, cool. So that problem is solved. Now, now what do we talk about? <laughs> so, well, we had kind of an idea of what we were going to talk about beforehand, but we had to really mm. put pen to paper and figure that out. So Joy and I spent many, um, you know, many meetings kind just kind of listing out what we wanted to talk about, how we should order it, things like that. And then just started reaching out to colleagues in the field, people who we either already knew or knew of. We paid mm. everybody for their time and their experience, because I don't believe in not paying people uh, for their experience, especially sharing in the way that they did with us. And uh, then we just recorded on Zoom. It's it's going to sound so low tech because it was, but we... Remotely, remote podcasting is like so, so great. I love it. Right, right. So we, we used Zoom and our handheld phones and sat and recorded and it just, through the magic of editing, you know, Joel was able to take some at times bad audio and turn it into something that is just wonderful. And so, um, then we also worked with a graphic artist to really uh, be intentional about the images that mm-hmm. we use for each for each episode as well. And yeah, so then it kind of folded out like that. It was originally ten episodes, um, but then we had uh, we had an event happen uh, where people were talking about. Plantation sites being used as Airbnbs. Hmm. And we had the unique opportunity to be able to talk to the person who uh, kind of relaunched the conversation on social media. And so to be a little bit more responsive. Yeah. I think what I love most about what our podcast does is that, you know, over time, you know, from the be- very beginning of the podcast, that seems very much uh, hard facts and like this is the history of the history we sort of transition over by the end into something that's a bit more raw emotion, right? Because we, we're talking to staff. We're having these really deep conversations about what we do in and out daily. And we don't hold back about some of these challenges and unique situations that we're in, especially when at the time, the majority of our team was Black female um, and talking about what does that mean Yeah, to be guiding through, guiding this history. Through us. Yeah, it's a great body of work on, on its own. Yeah. Um, so actually, finally,
0: last question, I promise, um, <laughs> is, um, you know, these are two audio projects. Do you have any thoughts generally on using audio to communicate, to engage people with the site and its history, whether it's on that kind of here's what happened here level of the tour, or uh, here's how we tell, here's how we work through what happened here in order to talk about what happened here level, like the podcast.
1: Yeah, so I think that audio as an engagement or programming tool is just another thing in your arsenal. Um, and it has been wonderful for us to be able to offer various ways for people to engage with us when they're both here and when they're off-site, to give them things to think about. You know, as I said, I've been in museums for a long time, and I've interacted with the public in several different ways, but something that That kind of irks me about the public is that, uh, you know, they come in and they just want to mindlessly consume and then leave. And it's just like, well, that's just not how actually this history, not just this history, but any sort of historical institution, cultural institution, whatnot works. Right. You're bringing in a lot of stuff, whether you know it or not. Uh, that you're dealing with when you're here on site as staff, we're here and we're engaging with people who are coming from all over the world who are bringing in their own understanding of this history, their own tugging their own wagon behind them, and sometimes they leave things behind and then they go forward, right? And so, how do we how do we make sure that they can continue to engage with with what we're doing and can channel the energy that hopefully they take from their visit into um, action? Mm. Um, And so, it'll. so these audio programs allow us to go a little further than we might have been able to otherwise. And I mean, when you add in offsite engagement, when the vast majority of people are likely never going to be able to come to us, but can still engage with us, Mm. that's a win. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a W, you know. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and talking all about this. It's nice that this is something people can go listen to. Uh, both of these right away, and I'll I'll put that information in the the show notes for people.
1: Good. Thank you for the invite Hannah. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to We the Museum. You've been listening to my conversation with Amber Mitchell, Director of Education at Whitney Plantation. My thanks to Amber for her time and insights. For show notes and a transcript of this episode, visit the show website, wethemuseum.com. If you'd like to listen to the Whitney Plantation audio tour, you can access it for free via your smartphone by searching Whitney Plantation in your app store. You can find their podcast, Tilling the Soil, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll also link to both of these things in the show notes. Once again, a big thank you to our show sponsor, Landslide Creative. Making a podcast takes a lot of time and energy, and I wouldn't be able to set aside the space to make this show without Landslide Creative's financial support. If your museum is considering a new website, definitely make Landslide Creative your first stop. And I've been your host, Hannah Hethman. As owner and executive producer at Better Lemon Creative Audio, I help museums around the world plan, produce, and edit podcasts that advance their missions. Find out more about my work at betterlemonaudio.com.